Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. (laughs) Hi, thanks for joining me this Monday, October 31st. It is Halloween. What's your costume? Paul, do you have a costume? I, I went as a radio board operator today. Oh, that is just so creative. You have a little headphones on? I, I do. Oh, look at you. So cute. Well, I'm not wearing my costume yet because um, I'm one of those people that, I don't know, like 20 years ago, I actually bought one of those adult-sized costumes. So it's like an Elizabethan princess. It's got this big hoop skirt, and it is not conducive for doing radio. But I have it hung up on the door. And hopefully I will still have a few hours of trick-or-treaters. Um, I do have my crown on, though, Paul. I am. I want you all to know that I am wearing my crown. So uh, I think I should be treated accordingly. I uh, hope you're going to have a fun Halloween today. Uh, you may have heard uh, traffic. That was not Dan Levy. I know what you're thinking to yourself. That Dan Levy, man, he does a mean traffic. (laughs) Well, actually, for the near future, it is going to be Joan Esposito and Petty Vasquez bringing you traffic at the top and bottom of every hour. Um, It is something new we were trying. I will tell you, I've never done traffic before. Dan Levy assures me that I will learn how to do it very quickly. Um, But here's the thing. My email address, a lot of you already know it, jesposito at wcpt820.com, jesposito at wcpt820.com. Um, if there is traffic, either a certain expressway or a certain time of day where you need to know something specific, please shoot me an email because I am looking over the traffic website. I actually have... 60 different, 60 different roads or sections of roads to choose from. I'm uh, going to try to, if I don't hear from anybody specific, I will try each day to give you the greatest hits. But, um, bear, bear with me. This is probably going to be, well, my first inclination was to say painful, but let's just say it will probably be amusing for everyone involved. Just um, if I'm not giving you the road you need, by God, you reach out to me and you tell me. Because otherwise, I'm just like looking at the worst delays and the worst accidents and trying to figure it out. We will figure it out together. What do you say? Okay. Lots of news of this day. And I have lots of Barack Obama to share with you. Man, oh man, he has been hitting the campaign trail hard. And I, I I mean, he was always a great speaker. He was always a great speaker, but he seems to be willing to show more of his personality and more of a sense of humor now that, you know, he's not trying to convince you of his gravitas so you will vote for him for president. We already know who he is. We know him. And um, and it gives him a real freedom in the position he's in to kind of say some things that 
might be considered a little over the top for Joe Biden to say them. But as a former president, you know what? Damn the torpedoes. This is a man who can pretty much say whatever he wants to say whenever he wants to say it. And by God, that is exactly it is exactly what he is doing. There's so much uh, that I want to share with you. Here's how today is going to go. We're going to talk about the news of the day. Then we're going to talk to mayoral candidate and alder Sophia King. She has come up with her plan for how the police department should be reformed. There's also been some news, I think just this morning or just late last week, that, you know, there's been talk in the city council. We supposedly, on paper, the form of government the city of Chicago has is a strong city council, weak mayor format. But in real life, it's never played out that way. It has always been an iron-fisted mayor who controlled the city council and got what they wanted out of the city council. Uh, But there are rumblings that there are alders that would like to change that. And one of the ways they would like to change that is in naming the heads of various committees. That is something the city council theoretically should be doing. In practice, though, it has always been the mayor who um, said who was going to be heading up very com- various committees. Well, recently, Sophia King tried to name somebody as head of the education committee, which she is on. And two of the mayor's allies just sort of smacked it into committee. Going to talk to her a little bit about that. Then we're going to uh, share more of Barack Obama on fire with you. Then we're going to talk about the Kane County Dems, Democratic Party. Um, that's um, if you live in Kane County, you do not want to miss this discussion because, you know, I, I get people reaching out to me all the time. What did you say about this? How do I find out how to vote about this? What are the races I need to pay attention to? So we are going to in the eight days, eight days, eight days. In the eight days until the election, we are going to be talking as much as possible about specific things that you are going to find on your ballot. I'm already assuming that you're registered to vote. If you're not, please check that. Remember, in Illinois, you can register up to November 8th. you got to register. You've got to vote. So let's just say that part is a given. So over the next few days, every day, we are going to be talking and trying to introduce you to some of the down-ballot candidates and down-ballot races. As a matter of fact, this Wednesday, we are going to do an hour on Grundy County races, an hour on Kendall County races, an hour on Lake County races. Boom, boom, boom. It's time, folks. It's time. I know you've got busy lives. I know your job or jobs, your kids, your family that you've got to take care of. I get it. But we're down to the wire here now. I beg of you, you know, when if you're driving around for work, you know, just listen to us. We'll try to give you as much information as possible. I've already tweeted out links. Like, if you want to know about the judges, there's... 
according to the most of the recommendations I saw, there's two or three judges that are up for retention who are being recommended that you vote no, that they not be retained. Look at a guide, an LGBTQ uh, legal guide, a state bar guide, um, the women's bar guide, whatever, whatever constituency that you feel is important and you want to make sure they're represented. Trust me, they have a guide when it comes to judges. Look it up. It doesn't really take that long. I swear to you, give yourself 10 minutes with your computer. Let the kids go to bed, spend 10 minutes with the computer and print something out. You can take, if you're going to vote in person, you can take papers in with you. I've always, you, nobody can remember all those judges for heaven's sake. I've always printed out all the recommendations, take it right into the booth with you. And I usually then share, share those papers with my family one of whom has already complained that they haven't gotten their Jonas Posito judicial guide. So we are going to be talking about candidates. And then uh, at the end of the day today, I'm hoping that I have a little more time to share some more Barack Obama. Um, he said a lot of really important things. He said a lot of amusing things. He's, he was just, the man was pretty much on fire. He, we've got, um, he stumped for Gretchen Whitmer, the Democrat who is running for re-election to be the governor of Michigan, and he stumped for Mandela Barnes up in Wisconsin. Let's hope that makes a difference. Let's hope he reminds people that just because Mandela Barnes is black doesn't mean we have to be afraid of him. Okay, Ron Johnson? Yeah, we know he's different. He's not one of us. Well, a lot of people crossed over from the Republican Party to vote for Barack Obama. They didn't see him as different. They saw him as great, because he was great, is great, not dead. (laughs) Okay, um, I do want to try... How are we going to do this? Okay, I've got some news stories that I will try to get through real quick. But I, I do want to leave you. Be, oh, shoot. It's getting kind of late. Maybe there's a shorter one. Um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, when um, Barack Obama was campaigning for Gretchen Whitmer, he started talking about the fact that she does a good job, compared her to a plumber who does a good job. But I'm telling you, This man had the crowd eating out of his hands. He was funny. He was passionate. I miss him. I'm so glad he's back. We're going to take a quick break. I'm going to play this for you right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Going to get to some more news items, but first, as promised, Former President Barack Obama was on the campaign trail. He campaigned for Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin. He campaigned for Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. Uh, and I'm telling you, <laughs> he's back, baby. He's back and he's better than ever before. He um, told the crowd at one point, he kind of compared the governor uh, to a plumber. 
Um, but in a good way, in a good way, because everybody knows how valuable it is to have a good plumber. Anyway, he says it better. Listen to this. Four times. She's working to make sure that the electric cars that will drive on these roads are made right here in Detroit, right here in Michigan. That's, that's what you want from a public servant. You don't want a lot of wild, crazy talk. You just want somebody who's doing their job. That's what Governor Mitt Whitmer is focused on. I, I mean, imagine if, 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 you know, you hire your plumber. You got, a, you got an overflowing toilet. It's a problem. <laughs> he comes in and, you know, you're waiting for the toilet to be fixed. He said, have you heard about the latest conspiracy of the lizard people? And he starts talking to you about all this stuff. We got to do something about that. You'd be like, no, no, no. I, I, I just want you to fix my toilet. <laughs> You'd find another plumber. When you got a good plumber, you keep a plumber. When you got a, when you got somebody that knows how to do their job, you keep them doing that job. I see you. This is great. I love having. I should just take the band around with everyone. I really do like that. And- yeah, we like it, too. We, we like it, too. Whether or not you have a band giving you a, dr- a drum roll to <laughs> emphasize the cheers coming from the crowd. Okay. Uh, let's get to a, a few more uh, regular news items before we, we move on. <clears throat> a very important election in Brazil that took place yesterday and the strongman Trump-like candidate was defeated. Jair Bolsonaro was defeated and the new president-elect of Brazil is Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, better known simply as Lula. He is a left candidate Um, The elections, by all accounts, were considered to be free and fair. And this, folks, is a really good sign. This is a really good sign. As so many things, Europe being united against Putin, the sanctions starting to work. Um, We are seeing progress. I was talking to somebody earlier today that asked me how I how I manage to stay upbeat. I stay upbeat because there's more of us than there are of them. And we may have been slow to get up off our butts and do things and vote and make stands, but we're doing it now. And it isn't going to happen overnight and it isn't going to be pretty, but we are going to prevail. We've got a president who's done more for climate than all the other presidents before him. Things things are more glass half full than glass half empty. Don't let all the negative ads surrounding this election and politics in general, don't let that drag you down. Good things are happening. Good things are happening. 
speaking along those lines and getting uh, up and out to do things. Jeff Tweedy from Wilco, he is going to be performing a free Get Out the Vote event Wednesday, November 2nd. It's in supporting Lauren Underwood. She is one of the Congress people. Her area is around Naperville. Because she just barely won her last election, the Republicans have targeted her. They have targeted her. Well, Jeff Tweedy is on Wednesday, November 2nd. That's Wednesday of this week. He's going to be at the Egyptian Theater in DeKalb, Illinois. And here's the great part. If you volunteer for two canvassing or phone banking shifts, you get VIP tickets for the event. How's that? If you do two outings canvassing or two phone banking shifts, you can get, you can access VIP tickets for this event. Tuesday, November 8th is Election Day. Wednesday, November 2nd is Jeff Tweedy at the Egyptian Theater in DeKalb, Illinois. You can get more information. Uh, Eventbrite is handling the tickets. Um, That's Bright spelled B-R-I-T-E. Eventbrite.com. Um, what else is going on? Well, we don't really know if this is overall good news or bad news. Let's face it, it's probably going to turn out to be less than great news, the fact that Elon Musk uh, is, uh, shall we say, already making himself felt. Well, that's one, a subtle way to put it, at Twitter. I told you uh, the end of last week, literally, When the documents were signed, when he took possession of Twitter, he fired the three top executives. Don't feel too bad for him. They all have um, golden parachutes. They're going to walk away with at least a year's worth of cash salary. And they're going to be walking away with millions of dollars in stock. They already had a bunch of stock. And remember, Elon's paying a pretty penny for the company. So these three executives and also Jack Dorsey, the guy who founded Twitter and still owns about two and a half percent of it. For Jack Dorsey, this deal is going to be worth just a hair under a billion dollars. So, um, yeah, they may have been shell shocked and they may have been escorted to the front door with, you know, the traditional little cardboard box of their possessions. But they're getting the kind of payday that (laughs) you and I would retire on just for walking out the door. So let's not feel too sorry for them. Right. And I'm sure you heard at the top of the hour, uh, one of the first things Elon Musk said is he wants his people to, I don't know if this service already exists. I'm a little fuzzy on this whole thing, but there's going to be this paid level of Twitter service. And for those of us who have a blue check, the only way we are going to keep our blue checks is if we start subscribing to this service from Twitter that is supposed to give us all kinds of special benefits and it, but it's going to cost 20 bucks a month. 20 bucks a month. He, uh, he tasked certain people with getting this up and running. And he apparently, according to the Wall Street Journal, told them that if this new program isn't rolled out a week from today, November 7th, everyone working on it is going to be fired. How's that for a morale builder? How's that for inspiring your people? This is what I want to do. Everybody and everybody who has a blue check is going to have to start paying for it. And if you don't get this up and running in one week's time, you're all fired. 
Those of us with blue checks apparently will have 90 days to decide whether we want to pay for this new and improved Twitter. I can't imagine that I'm going to do it. I can't imagine, you know, unless they're going to send me, you know, like a free food box or maybe a dress once a month. That 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 might be worth it. And by the way, people have been suspecting that people have been leaving Twitter. Well, today we got some corroboration of that. Uh, Judd Legum writes probably the best newsletter of all the ones you could subscribe to. It's called Popular Information. Uh, he um, put out a newsletter today that said that once Elon Musk bought Twitter, he has lost 5,000 he said, because the main way he promotes the, his newsletter is on Twitter. And 5,000 people who were following him on Twitter have disappeared. They have dropped the service. And, you know, there's all kinds of talk about whether people should switch to Mastodon or Telegram or some of these other things. I don't know. I'm going to wait and see how it plays out. But there has definitely been an uptick in hate speech on Twitter since the Elon Musk deal was signed. And we have evidence of at least one person who's admitting that since he took over Twitter, they've lost 5,000 followers, people who have closed their accounts. Okay. Um, We are going to be throughout the day sharing more news with you. There's some fun Trump stuff, a lot more Obama stuff. But up next, we're going to be speaking to Alder Sophia King right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Alderman, Alderwoman, Alder, Sophia King represents the fourth ward in the city of Chicago. She is also going to be running against Lori Lightfoot in our February 2023 election. And recently she released what I thought was a pretty smart pretty comprehensive plan for how policing should work or how she wanted it to work in her administration. So we reached out to her and asked her if she would join us today uh, to talk a little bit about that. Uh, Sophia, thank you for being here. Uh, Joan, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I was very impressed. You know, I read a lot about politicians and things they want to change and things they want to do. Oftentimes, as I'm sure you well know, people try to play it safe by speaking about things in general terms, not really committing themselves to any specifics. But I thought your plan not only was very specific, but it made so much sense. Every, every, as I was, I started to read it and I was like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Oh, well, that's a good idea. Oh, I can't believe they're not doing that already. That's a great idea. Um, very well, very well thought out, very well presented. And I'd like you, if you don't mind, to kind of, um, hit through the major points for our audience. No, I'd, I'd be happy to. Um, and this is, you know, I've been alderman for over six years. Um, so this comes from, you know, really thinking about uh, the issue at hand. I mean, you know, safety is the number one, two, and three issue on 
on everyone's mind. And so we put a lot of thought into this, but it also came, you know, with talking to uh, folks in the field, talking to the rank and file police officers, talking to violence intervention uh, folks in that space, uh, just really talking to a lot of people. So I'll I'll hit some highlights and then hopefully we can delve into uh, some specifics. But, you know, uh, we put together, you know, an 18 uh, page safety and justice plan, which centered around um, really um, increasing officers in the community itself. We need, you know, more officers in the community. And so we have a plan for that. I'll delve into some of the specifics on that. Uh, but we also have an equally robust plan um, to escalate violence intervention programs. I think that's important um, to uh, highlight that as well. Um, and then also to uh, um, focus on um, non-police responses. So, you know, your um, your um, <clears throat> uh, programs uh, for alternative responses to 911. Um, you know, we know that over 50% of calls to 911 are for non-violent situations. And so, you know, rather than, um, and, you know, those are typically around uh, substance abuse, mental health issues, homelessness, um, and it's a win-win because those are situations where we don't necessarily need police to respond to, uh, but we can also have folks who are trained in those areas to respond. Um, so I'll hit uh, specifically on kind of putting more police in the communities where they belong. Uh, we've got several ideas in order to do that immediately. Um, we certainly uh, can uh, bring back retired officers, but we're suggesting about a thousand retired officers. Uh, we know that in other big cities that they have uh, retired officers who come back and help uh, their city out. Uh, for instance, New York, I think, has 4,000 what they call auxiliary police. Um, so that's one idea. Another is really to change uh, the shift. Uh, right now, we have three shifts. Um, and we could um, easily go to two shifts to immediately put up to 50% more officers in communities. Um, and that would also give officers more time for rest. Uh, you know, uh, we've got our police who are underappreciated, overworked. Um, so this would give um, two uh, shifts with 10-hour uh, shifts. Uh, They would be sliding to cover that 24-hour period, Uh, but they would work a 40-hour week, so it wouldn't be any different, uh, but they would get more time off. Uh, So those are um, um, examples of things that we can do immediately. Um, The gun violence uh, prevention, um, we are suggesting that we put $200 million into uh, programs that are out there already that have great metrics. Um, so that we can, you know, get at this violence uh, before it even um, occurs. So we're suggesting that we scale proven violence intervention programs uh, with public and private investment. Um, We could do, you know, $200 million. Uh, We actually have uh, billions of dollars from uh, the federal government, so does the state and so does the county, but we all need to work together in order to, uh, communicate and use that those dollars more efficiently. So we are um, um, 
recommending that we scale up those programs immediately. And then also I would highlight um, um, increasing and expanding, as I said, not only alternative responses to 911, but uh, diversion programs as well so that we can, um, right now a lot of folks don't know, we've got a few pilots uh, in, in police districts with alternative responses to 911. Um, and so we want to escalate those programs more, again, uh, to bring people who are trained to respond to homeless issues, to respond to mental health insecurities, um, and so that police can do their job of responding to more violent um, issues. Um, we also are thinking that we can embrace technology, uh, make sure that we use it more efficiently, um, I'm suggesting in a number of, of ways we can use drones. Um, one, I think low-hanging fruit is really just to reduce the visible blight in our communities um, by just cleaning up the lots. I mean, that is truly something we should be doing uh, right away. We have the money to do it. I'm not sure. Well, I'm sure why we don't. I mean, we have underinvestment and all of our communities on the south and west sides and uh, the lots, I think, are uh, a symbol of that disinvestment. And so we can immediately uh, do that. Um, I've also committed to, you know, real uh, justice reform, making sure that we have um, uh, a office that's committed to implementing the consent decree uh, by the time uh, that we suggested, which is in 2027, and to proactively do that. So those are uh, just a few of the things, you know, that we are suggesting. Um, you know, these aren't uh, ideas uh, that are out of the box. These are doable um, and, you know, something that can turn our city uh, back, I think, on the right trajectory. I think one of the most important things, though, with this is that we have to collaborate uh, with our partners at the state, at the county, um, and, you know, other uh, stakeholders to make this happen. And so, you know, we have to work together in order to do that. And I'm offering, you know, leadership that will do that. Uh, as you pointed out, I, New York City, um, there have been communities that have brought back retired officers when there is um, a person power shortage. And I know one person was, when I was reading an article about this um, weeks and weeks ago, and the question was, well, if someone's retired, you know, why would they want to come back? And I, I, I don't find that to be a strong argument against this program, because frankly, a lot of people who retire decide that it's not exactly what they thought it would be and either returning to full-time or at least some part-time work. You know, I, I hear people sure. all the time unretiring. Um, how many officers out there do you guess would be amenable to, assuming that they haven't picked up stakes and moved to someplace sunny like, like Las Vegas, how many do you think would yeah. be available to a program like this and interested in it? Yeah, so I've, you know, I've talked to a number of, of retired officers. Um, we started off with a thousand. We think that that's something that we can do. As I said, you know, New York has a program over 4,000. Um, and I think we can do that. But to your point, uh, you know, a lot of folks aren't retired. They're still working. A lot of them are working in security and, and other places. And, and they would be willing to come back, like you said, on a part-time basis, 
uh, during surge times in the summer, uh, doing things, especially detective work. Some of them are forced retirement. So a lot of people don't know. I believe police are forced to retire at the age of, of 63. And I just spoke with a couple of women uh, officers who are retired who, you know, feel like they could still be productive and still help their city. Um, so I think we could right away get a lot of folks who are interested in helping the city uh, to come back. Uh, we could, you know, easily add more detectives uh, to solve more murders and shootings. I think that would be an area that we would concentrate on uh, initially. Um, and then um, to uh, increase, you know, our goal of a thousand um, you know, uh, pass the detectives right away. Uh, but I think folks would be open to that. I think, like you said, uh, uh, folks are out there doing other things. Uh, I think they would also just want to help the city where, you know, we're at, I think, a pivotal point. Um, the violence is, is something uh, that everybody is concerned about. But everyone deserves to be safe in their home, you know, in their work and at their school. And, and the city should be ensuring that everybody is safe. Uh, but they're failing at that right now. And so this is a plan, I think, that would put us back, um, you know, in a towards a trajectory of being a great city. Because beyond the, the safety issue, there's so many great things, you know, about Chicago, as you know. Um, you know, we, we have water. Um, yeah. It's having having trouble with that. Um, you know, we're not having hurricanes. It's really a livable city. You know, it's not like Very much so. or New York. Um, so there there are a lot of positive things about Chicago um, that we need to uh, elevate, but we can't really do that until we take this um, violence on head on, um, both directly, um, you know, holding folks accountable, but also uh, being compassionate and, and making sure that we get at some of the systemic issues that we know are out there so that we're not back here in 20 years dealing with the same issues. And so I'm offering an approach that deals with both that has real solutions for some of the real problems that we have, both short-term and long-term. I'm speaking with Alder Sophia King. She represents the 4th Ward. She is going to be on your ballot um, when uh, we vote on mayor of the city of Chicago. We are talking about her police and crime plan. I want to talk to you a little bit more about that after a quick break and also some of the work that you're doing to to try to get... person to lead the education committee we'll be right back after this joan esposito live local and progressive on wcpt 820 alderwoman sophia king is running to be the next mayor of the city of chicago she represents the fourth ward right now and she has put out um a brilliant not a radical very well thought out plan for how to maximize and best support our police department and make them more effective. One of the things that she touched on a few minutes ago before the break, you may have heard she mentioned increasing the use of drones. I don't understand why this is not a technology that we have not fully embraced before this. I have a friend, I will give you an example, I have a friend who lives in the Bucktown area. The Bucktown area over the summer saw a huge increase in carjackings in no small part because there is an entrance to the expressway right there in the heart of the town. So whenever there's an entrance to an expressway, it makes it much easier for somebody to commit a crime and basically get out of the area fast. 
And this person has gone to all kinds of neighborhood meetings and meetings with the local police. And the problem is that even when the police in the area spot these people and they know this crime has been reported, they are given orders to call off the chase uh, when it gets to the expressway because it's con- considered too dangerous. It is As you, anybody who studies the police knows that lots of times when there are high-speed chases, that's when innocent people get hurt. You know, um, a car loses control or somebody doesn't see them coming, and innocent people have died. So, rightly so, police try to be very, very careful when they conduct a high-speed chase. But you can imagine the frustration for the people living in a neighborhood who see police cars chasing someone who's committed a crime and then basically just have to stop. This is, if we had drones, a lot of them readily available, nobody would ever get away. You find the, you find the vehicle, you, you know, you show the drone what car it needs to follow. The drone operator follows the car. You know, I remember, Sophia, when I was in high school, Mm-hmm. We we were taking driver's ed, and I think a policeman came to talk to us. And, you know, of course, one of the guys, being a smart aleck, was like, well, how fast can your cars go? And what if I have a really fast car? And I'll never forget, the cop looked at him and said, you know what, son? You can't outrun a radio. Mm-hmm. All, you know, they radio ahead, this car, this license plate, and you're, you're caught. The drone technology yeah. would seem to be brilliant I think it would put an end to carjackings faster than anything that I can think of. You know, now, is this? There's, yeah, there's lots of technology uh, that we need to, you know, embrace, and I think I think this is one of them. If used properly, that we can, um, you know, assist. Uh, drones can assist, uh, especially in situations where a physical pursuit. Um, is dangerous for the officer or residents. Um, I think that that technology is there um, and can, you know, we, we want to hold criminals accountable. We have to. Uh, we cannot continue kind of a wild, well west atmosphere. And so in order to make sure that we do that, I think this technology is something that we can use, like I said, for phys- when, when uh, physical pursuits are, are not safe uh, for our residents or for our officers, uh, we should use them. They're, they're cheaper than, than um, helicopters are. Uh, they can, you know, be deployed uh, very readily, either from cars or from specific stations. Um, and like you said, you know, we can identify people. Um, we've got that technology. Uh, we can identify cars. And, and it would, uh, again, make it possible to pursue um, uh, offenders when a pursuit or an investigation is uh, too dangerous for residents or officers. So I, I, I'm not sure why we're doing it again. Other cities are. We should be leading in in terms of technology. Um, you know, I'm also presenting that, you know, we should be the Silicon Valley of the Midwest. We should be leading. We should be the tech hub uh, of the Midwest. We train everybody, you know, from the University of Chicago, Northwestern, um, University of Illinois, DePaul. We've got all of these folks here that leave our city to to uh, pursue technology elsewhere. Uh, we can also do a better job of, of training 
our high school students in that um, regard. So, you know, increasing technology and embracing it, I think, is, is, a, is a good uh, part of our plan and something that we would do right away uh, to help alleviate the crime uh, that we're seeing that's out of control. Want to shift gears for a quick second and talk about your work with the Education Committee and your thwarted efforts to uh, to try to nominate somebody. Um, tell us tell us about that. Yeah, so um, we, you know, so the chair of the Education Committee stepped down in June, June or July. I can't remember exactly when. Um, and I was I am the vice chair, and as the vice chair. I am by law, by code, immediately the acting um, chair of the committee. So I had been trying to bring uh, the CEO of Chicago Public Schools in to quarterly meetings. Um, I had run into him at an event where we were both there, and I said, "Hey, you know, you need, you should, you know, come in to talk about, you know, the school openings, the budget, and other things." Uh, and you know, I thought he was amenable to that, um, but. I tried to reach out to him again to follow up with agendas and, and, and a time and everything. And, you know, those calls uh, went unanswered. And I think the administration found out about them. And they tried during last uh, um, our last uh, city council meeting to install a new um, chair of the education committee in order uh, not to have transparency, not to bring in the CEO of CPS. Um, and that had been the tradition of this administration, not to have uh, the uh, uh, CPS come in um, to hearings um, like they should. I mean, we give them millions of dollars every year um, and, and we share the, the same constituency. They should have to not only answer to the city council, but also to our constituents. Um, so anyway, that effort was thwarted. Um, my colleagues, uh, you know, voted with me um, and against um, appointing a new chair, um, especially that would not, you know, seek to bring in and have a committee meeting um, as chair of the education committee. And so I am still the acting chair. Um, I've been told that they're still you know, going to try and and I guess oust me, um, but it, it, it's really uh, counterproductive. Um, you know, we can have folks, you know, just because I'm running um, for uh, an office uh, that she happens to uh, lead right now, that doesn't mean that we can't work uh, to get the city's business done and to make sure that people are informed, uh, that things are being done transparently, uh, that uh, the people the people who are residents elected are informed about what's going on, especially in one of, you know, the most important bodies in our city, which is Chicago Public Schools. So I'm really disappointed. I was uh, taken by surprise. I didn't know um, that this was going to happen and during last uh, city council. But, you know, I spoke out about it and and called uh, the mayor on, um, you know, what she was doing and, you know, just, uh, you know, told her that, uh, you know, if if we could spend, if she would spend more time, um, you know, uh, combating problems than people, then we could, our, our city would be a lot better off. Um, you know, we don't need this dissension. We need to, um, you know, really just roll up our sleeves 
and work towards uh, making sure our Chicago public schools are run efficiently um, and better uh, for all of our city. And we can do that together. We don't we don't have to um, bring politics into this as, as she decided to do. Well, I think that once we get this midterm election under our belt, the focus is really going to shift to this race. I think that uh, things are are starting to heat up and they're only going to get hotter and more interesting. I hope you can, if any time you put out plans like this one that you put out for the police, give us a heads up because, um, again, for those of you listening, I mean, I've, I look at a lot of these and frankly, most people, because they don't want to make anybody angry, they'll say something or they'll put out a plan that is so generic that is absolutely meaningless. And the plan that Sophia King put out was logical. It was clear. It was doable. You know, it wasn't pie in the sky. It's all stuff that we could be doing right now. And um, I was really impressed. And I, I thank you. I thank you, Sophia, for joining us to talk no, about this. Thank you. No, thank you for, for having me. I um, truly, uh, you know, think, like you said, our plan is very doable. Um, and more importantly, I just, you know, want to uh, represent all of Chicago um, while still bringing the wildly disenfranchised communities much relief and resources. Um, and I think we can do that. You know, I think we can, like I say, both uplift the police and hold them accountable. Uh, we could do targeted, targeted law enforcement and have robust wraparound services. Um, and so that's what I'm offering. You know, I'm offering um, this uh, leadership uh, collaborative style that can bring our city together and put us back on a trajectory. I'm willing to roll up my sleeves and do the hard work that it takes to address the real systemic issues, uh, but also addressing the emergency of now, the violent crime. Um, so I hope your listeners will support me. And uh, if they feel like they want to learn more, they can go to SophiaForChicago.com. Um, we've got more information and they can sign up to help. Um, but thank you for having me. Thanks. Thank you for actually reading the plan. Um, <laughs> and I appreciate being on the, on the show. Well, I'm sure we will have you back and soon. Alderman Sophia King represents the fourth ward. She is running to be the next mayor of the city of Chicago. We're going to take a break for news and be back with more right after this. Jonas Pizzito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Jonas Pizzito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Uh, I suppose you heard at AP News at the top of the hour about Donald Trump and uh, all of the complaining he's doing about the various court cases he's involved with. One of them was that fraud case. Well, there's a little more to it that I wanted to share with you. Uh, this was reported just this morning in the Wall Street Journal that the judge in the New York Attorney General's fraud lawsuit that Donald Trump is defending both himself and his company. Well, um, Donald Trump, apparently the last few rulings that the judge in that case has made have not gone in Mr. Trump's favor. And he is not, not, not happy about that. The judge is Arthur Angeron, and Donald Trump has called him vicious, biased, and mean. 
Okay, because that's going to really get you um, a lot of brownie points with a with a judge that you publicly berate them like that. Um, but here's what really caught my eye. You know, a lot of people believe, and I happen to be one of them, that even though it will cost him money in the short term because he will be subject to campaign finance laws, as at least as a subject as he is to anything, uh, that Donald Trump will declare that he is going to make another run for the presidency because he wrongly believes that it will somehow protect him from prosecution? Well, let's expand on that. Not only did Donald Trump post socially that this judge, Arthur Engeron, is vicious, biased, and mean, but he also complained on social media Friday that forget about former president, forget about might be a candidate, simply as a politician, Donald Trump shouldn't be forced to deal with any legal action until after the midterm elections on November 8th. Simply because he's a politician. Not because he's a candidate, not because he's an office holder, which would frankly be pretty thin excuses anyway, why you wouldn't be held responsible. But I'm a politician. I shouldn't have to defend myself in any court of law until after the midterm elections, because did I mention I'm a politician? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Anyway, in the in the fraud case, um, things are still moving forward. Um, today, the criminal tax fraud trial finished uh, is supposed to start because jury selection finished. Does this man have time to run for president? I can't believe he's flying around doing rallies. If you or I had as many court cases pending as this guy does, we'd be probably curled up in a ball, laying on our bed, whimpering. But this guy seems to just, just thrive on it. I told you that uh, President Obama had been getting out there and doing some campaigning. And uh, I'd forgotten how great it was to listen to him. He uh, was on the stump for Gretchen Whitmer, who is trying to hold on to her governor's ship seat in Michigan. And um, I uh, shared earlier that great bite where he was talking about, you know, you get a great plumber, you hang on to him. You get somebody who's good at doing the job and you keep him. Well, there were there were some other comments that he made during that speech where he was stumping for Gret- Gretchen Whitmer that I want to share with you. Um, <laughs> he started to talk about how campaigning maybe isn't as easy as it used to be, and I'm not quite sure where he was going with it because he clearly, the crowd clearly derails him when somebody shouts out that he's fine. He's fine, it's kind of sweet, kind of funny. Listen to this. 
I have to admit that sometimes going out on the campaign trail feels a little harder than it's used to. Not just because I'm older and grayer. I don't know if y'all heard that. What? I'm, I'm sorry, what'd you say? Said I was still fine. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to tell Michelle you said that. Although Michelle does agree. She knows. But that we're getting distracted. Squirrel. Uh. Yeah, he gets totally derailed by that. Totally derailed by that. Oh, man, what a speaker. I've got some more of what President Obama said on the campaign trail. He stumped both for Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan and Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin. Going to share uh, more of him when we come right back after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I've been sharing with you some of what former President Obama said as he stumped along the campaign trail in Michigan for Gretchen Whitmer. But that wasn't the only stop he made. He also was uh, speaking in Wisconsin, uh, trying to get people excited about Mandela Barnes and also maybe, maybe, maybe trying to disperse a little bit of the racism that has entered the campaign. Ron Johnson, his Republican incumbent opponent, um, not so subtly pointing to Mandela Barnes' race by saying things like, Mandela Barnes and his ads, he's different. Mandela Barnes, he's not one of us. Just as um, people say that uh, President Obama recorded that ad for J.B. Pritzker because um, they wanted to counteract the Charles Thomas ad for Darren Bailey. The feeling among Democratic circles was that the Charles Thomas ad was designed to tell black people, uh, give the secret message was, it's okay. It's okay. You can, you can vote for Darren Bailey. It's okay. So uh, President Obama recorded a commercial for J.B. Pritzker. You know what? It's okay to vote for him, too. Anyway, um, Obama, as I have said to you, is not only on the campaign trail. Maybe it's because he's so rested up, but he is on fire. He has these crowds just hanging on his every word. So he was campaigning. For uh, Mandela Barnes in Milwaukee at uh, North Division High School. And he talked about Ron Johnson and how Ron Johnson doesn't work for the people of Wisconsin. Ron Johnson works for the people who have money, for the billionaire class. Those are the people that Ron Johnson is fighting for. However, of course, he said it much more Interestingly and much more humorously than I just did. Listen to this. 
So, Brian Johnson, I, as, as your senator, he, he's, now remember, the question is, who's going to fight for you? Remember that, right? That, that's, who's, who's on your side? Who who's cares about you? Who's thinking about you? Ron Johnson, as a senator, helped give millions of dollars in, uh, in tax deductions to some of the biggest donors who funded his campaign. And after he voted for a tax plan that allows people to write off the cost of private planes. I, I've been trying to get this thing closed since I was president. If you, if you can afford a private plane, you don't, then you, you don't need a tax break. But no, he, 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 he fought for this. And then his adult children bought not one, not two, but three private planes. Because apparently carpooling was not an option. Now, <laughs> I mean, how, you need three? Meanwhile, Senator Johnson voted to raise the retirement age to 70, support, I, supported a plan that would put Social Security and Medicare on the chopping block every single year. You'd, each year, you'd have to vote to renew this thing. I, I mean, think about it, because Washington works so well. That's You want your Social Security and Medicare reliant on Congress every year. He's called Social Security a Ponzi scheme. Said that, that it's candy that the left is giving away. I, I, the, 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 the point is, some of you here are on Social Security. Some of your parents are on Social Security. Some of your grandparents are on Social Security. You know why they have Social Security? Because they worked for it. Yeah, we did. And that, you know, the Ponzi scheme. Because you say, well, you didn't really put your money in for Social Security because it's one of those systems where you pay in when you're a young person and you're earning and that money gets dispersed to an old fart like me. And then... When you're an old fart, the young people paying into the system then are funding your Social Security. But it's our money. It's our money. And this idea that Congress should vote on it once a year because, yeah, they're so efficient and because they would never, they would never politicize this. Would they? Would they? I don't understand. I mean, I get the fact that I get I don't like the Ron Johnson dog whistles to the racists who live in Wisconsin. I don't like it, but at least I understand what he's doing. But no politician in the history of politics has ever made a winning argument for why we should get rid of decrease restructure or privatize social security social security is the third rail of politics you don't touch it and i think the fact that ron johnson is talking the way he's talking about it if nothing else it really truly shows that this is a man who is out of touch 
with the vast majority of the people who live in the state that he is supposedly representing in Washington. It is cutting off your nose to spite your face. As he uh, campaigned for Mandela Barnes there in the high school auditorium at North Division in Milwaukee, uh, President Obama also uh, went on to talk about how no matter what the issue is, you know, people always say what's important is the economy. Okay. I'm not going to give you a huge argument that the economy is important. The question is, we know what Democrats want to do. Democrats, Joe Biden's releasing oil reserves, bringing down gas prices. Um, the Fed is raising rates. We're trying, we're getting a handle slowly but surely on inflation. Democrats have programs. They have ideas. We have this problem. Let's attack it this way. Whether it's the economy or anything else, Republicans, as we have noted, they have one answer. They have one single answer that is their prescription for any problem. That has not gone unnoticed by Mr. Obama, who talked about the Republicans' answer for everything, whether it's helping the economy or maybe some other circumstances we might find ourselves in. Listen to this. And look, I I get that democracy might not seem like the top priority right now, especially for a lot of folks where they they look and and they don't feel like it's working for them. When When you don't see enough progress on issues that matter to you and your family, that can be frustrating. But but I I have to tell you, I've seen and and we've all seen throughout history around the world what happens when you give up on democracy. We can see it in other countries where governments tell you what books you can and can't read. Countries that put dissidents and reporters in jail. Countries where it doesn't matter who you vote for because the outcomes are determined. And the people in power will do whatever they want. And where corruption is rampant because there's no accountability. When, 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 when honest, true democracy goes away, people get hurt. It has real-life consequences. And that's why generations of Americans fought and died for this idea of self-government. The idea was, I may not agree with you on everything, I may not look exactly like you, I may not have the same last name as you, I may not worship in the same way as you do, but because we are all Americans and we believe in this democracy, we'll come up with a way to settle our differences peacefully and sometimes I'll win and sometimes you'll win and then we will have peaceful transfers of power. That's how this place is supposed to work. And these are rules that we teach our kids when they're little. We, 
These aren't even just grown-up rules. We start teaching these, I've, Michelle and I, we start teaching Malia and Sasha this when, when, when they were, not, when, when they were two. Be fair. Be honest. Share. Uh, rules about how they should make group decisions. When uh, we come back, we're going to spend some time talking about the candidates who you will see on your ballot if you live in Kane County. And then after that, I'm going to share some more Barack Obama with you. We're going to um, we heard about the plumber. Yeah. And we heard he's fine. Um, after we talk about Kane County, we're going to hear um, what he thinks Republicans would do if an asteroid was going to hit the Earth. <laughs> We're going to wrap up the show with that today. So um, we are going to, as I said, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking to the chair of the Kane County Dems. Kane County is, um, you know, the collar counties are really important. Everybody's looking at the suburban areas for this midterm election, whether it's suburban women or suburban voters in general. And if you live in Kane County, there are a lot of people on the ballot, down ballot races you need to know about. We'll tell you all about that right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm pleased to be joined by Mark Gately, chair of the Kane County Dems. He joins us now to talk about what is going to be on your ballot, who is going to be on your ballot. This is a sponsored segment with the Kane County Democrats. Mark, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for having me on your show. I'm a, a huge supporter of your show and what you talk about every day for everyday people. So thank you very much. Well, oh, thank you for that, too. I was looking at a list of all the different uh, townships uh, that are in Kane County Aurora, Batavia, Campton, Plato, Dundee, Elgin, Geneva, Rutland, Hampshire, St. Charles, Sugar Grove, Big Rock, um, Burlington, Caneville, Virgil Townships. Um, do the demographics of these places differ from one another, or um, is Kane County more homogenous than that? Yeah, there are 16 townships in uh, Kane County. And the dy- dynamics are different from, let's say, Plato to Aurora, from Elgin to uh, Campton. Uh, but I'm happy to say that we carried the last two election cycles and we're gaining ground on the Republicans. Uh, we control the King County Board and five out of the eight uh, countywide offices. All the Congress people who uh, come through King County are represented by Democrats. We have 10 um People run for state rep. Eight are women. And I want, I want to put this out there that of all the counties in Illinois, we are the only county with all women lawmakers. So right there, very, you've got my attention. <laughs> yes, yeah, um, we're doing really well. We're a blue county. We're one of six blue counties in the state of Illinois. Um, we got some uh, really very important elections coming up here in Kane County. And we really need to, if I can say this, I want everybody listening on this call, you know somebody out there that can vote, please talk to your friends and neighbors and get them to vote. Because it really, ultimately, it depends on turnout. We need everybody voting. And when everybody votes or more people vote, 
Democrats in our country do better. You are absolutely right. Not only true about this election, but true about pretty much every election. I was telling uh, listeners that a couple of weeks ago I was listening to Mike Crute, who's a progressive radio talk show host in Madison, Wisconsin, and he'd seen a poll that said that of the people who told the pollster they were absolutely positively going to vote, which tends to be the older demographic, 55 and plus, there was a five-point Ron Johnson lead. But when the pollsters uh, uh, canvassed the people who said, well, you know, I might vote, I might not, I can't tell you for sure that I'm going to vote, of that group, which tends to be the younger crowd, if they all voted, when they were surveyed, Mandela Barnes won over Ron Johnson by 15 percentage points. That is the yeah, difference so, that turnout makes. Yes, we need to. We really need to talk to people about how important this cycle is. With everything that's going on nationally, state of Illinois, and even locally in our own counties, we need to talk to them about all the, the important issues out here. The Republicans want to talk about crime, and they want to uh, talk about taxes. Those are the two things that they keep talking about. Well, let's get it out there. First off, Kane County. Major crime has gone down 16%. Second, uh, all the union halls are empty. The economy is thriving. People are working. And the economy is just fine in Kane County, and gas prices have gone down in Kane County. So just about everything they say and they listen, if you listen to them, is a lie. And we have a lot of election deniers in Kane County running for local office, too. And you just have to look at the record, do the research. Ultimately, you'll see that, the election-denying uh, MAGA Republicans are uh, just, they're just despicable. And, and, and that's a nice word for me to describe them. The campaigning, I know in years past, there have always been attack ads. I'm, you know, I'm no Pollyanna. I've, I know that sometimes politics gets down and dirty. But it used to be a portion of what was out there were attack ads Now, I don't know if this is what it feels like to you, Mark, but it feels like that's everybody's go-to. Forget about the ads about who I am or what I stand for or why you should vote for me. Let's just let's just tear down my opponent. And you know what? We don't really even have to say things that are true because who's going to who's going to check it? You know, who's who's going to. And if the other side says they're not true, it'll just sound like politics. It seems a much more. (sighs) <sighs> vicious well, kind of campaigning. Yes, indeed. But however, if you look at the candidates record and the ones that are elected, how they vote, not what they say they're going to vote, you know, look at what they vote for and how they vote. Don't look at what they say they're going to vote for. Here's a good example. We have three congressional districts coming through King County. We have Bill Foster's campaign. We have Roger Christomorth and we have Lauren Underwood. During the primary session, all three of their opponents were totally pro-life, no exceptions. Uh, women's uh, choice is uh, you, you're not going to have a choice. You're going to, you know, they're, they're going to ban abortions throughout the country. Now, fast forward to after the primary. Each one of those particular candidates, knowing that that's not a popular stance, they have pulled it off their websites. And they, mm-hmm. say, they say things like, well, let the states take care of it. Or, or I, I heard the other one of them say, "Well, it's settled law. It's not going to happen in Illinois. 
how do you know it's not going to happen, Illinois? What if they win the governor's mansion and pick up the state house and state senate? And we're going to be like Texas and Indiana and the rest of them. You cannot trust them. When they no. say one thing, do another. It's, and that's just this one example. And that's what they're doing locally as well. We have a, a climate, or I should say, a, a election denier running for county treasurer. And he's, I think deep down he believes that Trump actually did lose, but he had a hook in with the, the MAGA crowd so he could win the primary or not have a primary. Either way, we have a candidate for treasurer, Jeff Pripisich, up against uh, his opponent, who is, um, I'll just be nice, say he's election denier and he's got all the Trump supporters behind him. Trump lost Kane County by 33,391 votes. So if you live in Kane County, please, when you come to vote, Vote for every single candidate that's a Democrat on that ballot, and that's how we have to. That's how we have to do this. We have to win every single election. Every single candidate in King County is pro-choice. Every single Republican, for the most part, are anti-choice. There's just one. It's just contrast, uh, and to be supported by Donald Trump, like Darren Bailey, Catalina Roth, and a few of the others. Is not going to play well in King County. And, you know, you you make a really good point. They have to be really far right to win the primary. Then they try to present themselves uh, as a more moderate candidate because they know that doesn't fly with the most of the people who will be voting in a particular election. But I believe that... Well, you could you could argue they don't stand for anything, but because they were so fearful of the of their own party and felt they had to take this radical stance, if they get elected, that is how they will govern, because they're not going to make those people who got them into office angry. So it almost doesn't even matter what they believe on a personal basis. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what they believe. They they sold out to the fossil fuel industry too. Here's here's another example of some of the people here that are running for uh, Congress. Well, they, you could just look at their their D2s or their where they get their money. Most of it comes from out of the area, and a lot of it comes from the fossil fuel industry. The fossil fuel industry is controlling the Republican Party in King County, at least at the congressional level. So really, and then when people say, "Oh, yeah, they they get their money uh, from these large corporations," that's just one of their entities where the money gets passed through. Dark money goes from one organization to another, and a lot of it is the fossil fuel companies, and a lot of it's big pharma. So those two are running the Republican National Party. Funding comes into King County, which would be DuPage and, and other surrounding counties to uh, push their agenda. Big Pharma, of course, they want to keep drug prices high and make sure that the you know people pay exorbitant amounts for their drugs and medicine. And of course, fossil fuel industry, they don't want they don't like the idea that we're trying to you know wing off you know fuel and fossil fuels in particular and get into a you know a different source of energy. So this is what's going on. And if you follow where the money comes from and it flows, you'll see a lot of it's coming in through the suburbs of Illinois. And it's just, I just, I just feel in my heart that people are going to pay attention because people are smarter than 
what some of these politicians think, and the Democrats are going to prevail not only in King County but in Illinois. So I got, I got my my hopes are high. Uh, we're going to go ahead and continue to win in King County and Illinois and all throughout the suburbs, and send Trump a message and his followers and people that support him. Amen to that. Here in Chicago, Trump is uh, is almost to me. It, it kind of reminds me back during the Nazi days with Adolf Hitler. I mean, I, I, I see comparisons between Trump and, and you know Nazi Germany. I see what he did, and I, I kind of just you just have to look back in history. I feel that that's what's going on with all the political violence. You know, you look at the insurrection, what happened just recently with uh, Paul Pelosi. It, it, it's it's almost identical what happened in the 1930s, and Trump is he's the head. He's the reason why all this is going on. I mean, he, he, he's he got like this cult following of people that you can't say anything to him because if you say anything to him about it, you know, give him some facts, they're going to get upset, and it, it's not worth the argument. So if you run across Trump supporters, you're probably better off just not talking to them. It does seem like positions have gotten pretty well crystallized. And, Mark, we need to take a quick break. I'm talking to Mark Gately, uh, chair of the Kane County Dems. We're going to talk about different ways you can get involved. We're going to talk about different people on the ballot. Um, we have a lot more to talk about. We'll be right back after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm joined by Mark Gately, who is chair of the Kane County Democratic Party. We want to talk to you about, if you live in Kane County, some of the races that you are going to see on your ballot Mark, where should we start with this? We're going to start with uh, vote yes on a workers' rights amendment. That's our yes. priority one for us. That is priority one. And for those of you who've heard some of the nonsense about it, uh, the workers' rights amendment, it has nothing, nothing, nothing to do with raising your taxes. It will not do anything that it is going to drive small businesses out of the state of Illinois. Those are two lies being told about the Workers' Rights Amendment by the corporate interests who don't want it to pass. Workers' Rights Amendment just says, you know what? People should have the right to organize for safer working conditions or better wages. And you know what? We probably shouldn't pass any laws that prohibit people from doing just that. There you go. Workers' Rights Amendment in a nutshell. Yes, it will guarantee the rights of all workers to negotiate safe working conditions and pay. Thank you for that. So that's what we start with. And then, of course, we have the governor and the statewide candidates. Then we get down to our um, our State Senate 25 is Karina Villa. Uh, She comes in through kind of the middle uh, eastern portion of Kane County. Uh, She's a great lawmaker. She's uh, an incumbent. What's her name again? uh, Karina Villa. Karina Villa. State Senator 25. Okay. Incumbent. Then we have incumbent state senator Linda Holmes. She comes into actually my territory in Batavia, North Aurora, up to the Geneva area. She also is an incumbent. Please vote for Linda. Uh, we go to King County Clerk candidate Nico Jimenez. He's running for King County Clerk. As I mentioned earlier, we have Treasurer candidate Jeff Kripasich. He is running for King County Treasurer. Uh, next, we have an incumbent, Sheriff Ron Hain, who's done amazing things uh, in the county uh, as our sheriff. 
Tell me, give me an example of some of the things that they've accomplished. Well, uh, he has fully integrated the electronic monitoring program, the elimination of opioid deaths, and reduced the crime throughout uh, of the crime throughout treatment. Worked with other county partners to share resources efficiently for taxpayer savings. Continue of jail exit programs for nonviolent uh, people. Continue to restructure and eliminate racial disparities to prove opportunities for the most marginalized people. Fully funded body camera program. Safer from the start, Ron. Now, if you talk to Ron and a lot of police and uh, chiefs and people involved in, in uh, law enforcement, they'll tell you that mass incarceration does not work. So they, they're set up some programs here in Kane so people can get treatment mental health treatment, drug treatment, those types of things. And Ron has done an outstanding job. He is going to get reelected by a large margin. Ron has a lot of support from many different people, many different groups in King County. So please vote for Ron. He's a outstanding person. And then we have, let's see, State House 49, Maura Hirschauer. She's got little parts of Batavia goes into Elgin and goes east into Bartlett area. She is also a target of the Republican Party. She supports all our issues. She is uh, on. Uh, she's actually canvassing now. She called me. If you have time, please help Mara canvas in that area. Contact us at info at kingdoms.org. She is for protecting a woman's rights to choose, ban military assault uh, weapons and high-capacity magazines, she demands more affordable health care and prescription drug funding, building an economy that works for all, and she's also supported by the Illinois AFL-CIO. Please vote for Mara. Uh, State House 50, we have Barbara Hernandez, which covers into part most of the Aurora East Side. Uh, she's, uh, I, I believe she is the youngest member of the, the House. She's 29 years old. She's wow. She's old. Uh, She's already a member of the House? Yes. Yep. Wow. She must be a, a very uh, a very impressive woman uh, to be that established at that age. I mean, do I sound like an old fogey saying that, Mark? No, not at all. She is. <laughs> so she's, she's just very young and she's very good. She's how, uh, how amazing, though, to to be that focused on what you want to do with your life. I mean, a lot of younger people, you know, they work in campaigns and they sometimes they do some volunteering or they do some community outreach before they realize that running for elected office is really what they want to do. I mean, to to already have run and won at that age required, I would imagine, a huge amount of of focus and basically self-knowledge. This is who I am. This is who I want to be. This is um, where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Well, she she was a past county board member, and I believe she served two terms. So she started in her early twenties. Wow! But she's been she's been elected for almost oh, say ten years. So she's got I don't know young, very young. How well you know her, or how often you've had a chance to speak with her? But if you can tell me a little bit about who she is as a person or her personality. She has a wonderful personality. She's just an outstanding individual. Uh, she uh, 
is totally supported by the FLCIO, and she has a lot of support in the Latino community. You know, Laura is, I want to say, 65% Latino. Uh, she has a lot of support with young women. She votes for almost everything that you can think about as progressive. You know, um, she she's in a, in a Democrat district. But uh, interesting enough, I went to her last walk. She indicated to me that someone had called and threatened her life, so she was very worried, and she had police surrounding her by her walk. And I was, uh, uh, you know, I was worried for her. So all this political discourse, it's political violence is coming from the right against the Democrats is coming filtered down the barber's race. And, uh, you know, she, Mark, I I was watching a fundraiser that was streaming online for the Wisconsin uh, Democratic Party. And as part of the live stream, a couple of women who were running for state offices, a state legislature, were interviewed and both of them said that they had been harassed, that their families had been harassed. I know that this is a problem nationwide, but it seems to me, and please correct me if you see it differently, it seems to me that women who run for office get more of this than men do. Do you think that's right? Yes. Yes, indeed. Yes. Do you think it's because somehow women are perceived as, I don't know, more vulnerable somehow to this kind of threat, whereas maybe a man wouldn't, the the thinking might be that a man wouldn't react so much to a, you know, I'm going to come get you the way a woman would. I think you're right. I, I, I think it's, there's a lot of bullying that goes on and, I, and it's usually some white wing extremist male against a Democrat um, progressive woman. And I think it I think it all goes back to Trump. I really do. I, I, I've never seen it this bad uh, prior to Trump running. It, I don't I don't remember that anyone like calling up a lawmaker's phone and threatening to kill him. I, I just don't. I, I've been around 25 years. And um, anyhow, I I, um, I worry about Barbara. We were so, we're supporting Barbara. I was putting her signs up last week. She's uh, she's a hard worker and she's. She's going to get reelected, and she's a wonderful person. Yeah. Um, we have Anna Muller up in Elgin. She's running the 43rd seat, which is uh, Elgin. She's awesome, too. We have Mary Morgan, who's running on the, the northeast side of King County. She's running up in a tough district. I think it's two precincts that we have, but regardless, she's on our list. We have what we call trifolds. We've distributed 30,000 of these trifolds. We divide it up in eight different types for 16 different townships and the committee people love passing these out it's just a, it's just a one page here here's your democrats take this into the polling location and vote for all mm-hmm. these people and each each vote matters for each person because every vote for each candidate please don't stop at the top please flip it over and vote for the judges please make sure you punch all the democrats all the way down through the county board and then in the 65th, which is, is Gasky seat, where we didn't have a candidate. We slated this great lady, a wonderful woman by the name of Linda Robinson. She garnished 1,200 signatures in eight days. She is really, really working hard to earn uh, the vote of the constituents in St. Charles and to uh, Geneva area. 
Then we have Suzanne Ness up in the 66th. She's awesome. She's also an incumbent. She's got the west portion of Dundee and goes up into Lake County. She is just a hard-working individual, and she's been canvassing for months. And then we you know, have Matt Hansen, which is – go ahead. Hold on to Matt Hansen. We'll start uh, after we yeah. after we break for news at the top of the hour. Um, but you mentioned, and I've talked about this before, especially when it comes to judges bringing, you know, write it down, bring a list in with you. So I got an email, um, about an hour ago from a listener who said that they were a new election judge just trained and he wanted me to remind people to bring a paper list into the voting booth. Um, because in his training, he was told that people were not supposed to bring their phones into the voting booth. I'm why about that? I'm not quite sure. Um, but he said, don't give any of the Republican judges a reason to give anyone any grief. So I haven't verified that. But if uh, Greg Rourke says he is a brand new election judge, I am assume assuming he has just been trained and that this is information we should know. Uh, We are going to take a break for news, and we're going to be back with more right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. I am joined by Mark Gately, who is the chair of the Kane County Dems, When I rudely interrupted him as we went to break, he was about to tell us about one of the races you will find on your ballot. Um, Mark Warren, is that who you said? Mark, did I did I remember that Uh, name right? uh, Matt Hanson. He's running in the. I wasn't even close. That's all right. Make sure you vote for Matt. Matt is a uh, union member. He is a conductor on the railroad. Very cool. Awfully hard. Yeah, very cool. Very good candidate. And, and that covers the middle portion of Kane County. So please vote for Matt. Up north, we have an uh, incumbent. She's not uh, being opposed by anybody, but her name is Christina Castro off in Elgin in the 22nd District. Please vote for Christina. And down Tell me a little bit about her. Christina? Christina yeah. is she's she's awesome. She uh she first got elected to the county board, I wanna say it was fifteen years ago. Um, she is in a area in Elgin when she was elected, which is highly democratic and she's done some amazing things. She's also on the exec committee currently uh for the state senate. She sits as a state central committee person. Uh, for that area, which I believe that is the 8th district. Uh, and she's a confidant. I, I talk to Christine a lot. She's, she's just awesome. She helps get uh, Democrats elected, uh, and she is uh, very well liked up in the city of Elgin. I'm almost all municipal uh, elected officials and candidates. So please vote for Christina. Um, uh, and then we have... Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I, I go ahead. I didn't know you were, we were still going. Go ahead. Uh, we just have another one. Uh, Stephanie Kiffwood is an incumbent down in the 84th, which is coming down into the war of southern portion. She is a veteran. She's a former Marine. She is an incumbent. This is her, I believe, sixth term. So please vote for Stephanie. She also was a former municipal elected official. She sat on the Aurora City Council for, I believe it was two terms. Do you know which branch of the service she served with, Mark? 
Yes, she was in the Marines. She's a Marine. Really? Oof. Yes. Yeah. She's awesome. She's a hard worker, too. Very hard. Very good. That doesn't good surprise me a bit. Yeah. She's great on all our issues. And don't forget the judges, please. And you get to the judge section, you live in King County. If you if you're, live in Aurora, uh, our current judge, uh, Bianca Carmargo, is the judge first sub-circuit. She doesn't have an opponent. Well, please vote for Bianca. And then our two huge important races we have running through King County are Elizabeth Roachford, Supreme Court, 2nd District. Please vote for Elizabeth. She is, uh, we're fighting it for every vote in King County. Please vote for her and as well, Chris Kennedy for appellate court. We really need these judges to get elected in King County. We need Liz on the Supreme Court here in Illinois, and we need Chris as our appellate court. So please vote for them. Don't forget, you got to flip your ballot over. If yeah. voted by mail. Oh, well, my ballot, you know, with all of the judges uh, for retention, my ballot, Mark, was two pages both sides. When I first got it, I felt like I was back in school and I was taking like an end of the year test. It was massive. Yeah. And, you know, um, what I would suggest that people do is if you have a mail-in ballot, you know, don't be daunted. Take You can take some time with it. You don't have to answer every single thing right away. And if you do decide to vote in person, whether it's early or the day of the election, prepare. Make yourself a paper cheat sheet. Nobody, I don't know, I think there were 2,000 judges on my ballot. That may be an exaggeration, Mark, but that's what it felt like. And there's no way, no matter how much studying I would have done, there would have been no way without a cheat sheet that I could have gone to an actual polling place and answered those questions responsibly just from memory. Yeah, so for us, there's going to be three total. Uh, then there's going to be some Republicans that aren't endorsed by the King County for retention. But these, this is a little slightly different rate. These are what will be a... Republican or Democrat first top of the ballot, and then Republican opponent. We want to make sure that you vote for the Democrat, and that's Elizabeth Roachford, Chris Kennedy, and Bianca Carmargo. Retention is a little different. There's no opponent. There doesn't say Democrat or Republican. It says retention or not. So it's a little slightly, this is like totally different, that we just got to make it clear to vote for these wonderful judges that we have as candidates. They're both actually, they're all three judges currently. But Elizabeth is running for the Supreme Court. She is a she is a circuit judge from Lake County. Same with Chris, and he's running for uh, appellate court. Both I have spoken. Uh, yeah. I have spoken often about Liz Roachford. Uh, give me your impressions of her, and tell the audience why you think it's important that people vote for her. Okay, so we'll start off by saying that she is just a wonderful person, and I know her husband real well. Uh, she, she's not your typical politician. She is a professional uh, person. She's been on the bench for years, and she's just thoughtful. When you ask her questions like, like, what do you believe in a woman's right to choose? She'll tell you that she believes in a woman's right to choose. She'll tell you that she believes in union. She'll tell you she, she believes in, um, in climate change. She believes in the same issues that all of us as Democrats believe in. 
Uh, lastly, I'll say this, because she just spoke at one of our events. The Republicans seem to, like, put a candidate. They just say Madigan, 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 and throw a candidate. Well, Liz has never met Mike Madigan, nor, nor has Chris. So that's, that's like, I guess they keep pulling that out of the bag. It's like taxes, and, you know, and immigration. But she, we, we, we really need these two on, on, on the bench here in Illinois. You know, we want we want in a judge. When you vote for a judge, it's a long time before they. Uh, it's every ten years with redistricting or, or census. But we're that's really one thing a lot of people don't know, Mark, about the terms for like the Supreme Court judges. Yeah, we got to make sure that we get we punch Liz, Elizabeth Rochford and Chris Kennedy, please. Uh, very important races. Well, they all are. Then we go to our county board races. We got a number of those, and I'll just run through those quickly. I know we're okay. Well, hang on. Hold that thought. We need to take one more break. This is um, we okay. are talking to Mark Gately, uh, a sponsored segment with the Kane County Dems. We are going to finish up the Kane County ballot when we come right back after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT eight twenty. This segment is sponsored by the Kane County Dems. I'm talking to the chair, Mark Gately. Um, he was just about to go through a few of the, uh, I believe what you said, county races, countywide races that are county on the ballot, board. Mark? Uh, county board. Okay. Um, yeah. Who is running for county board and what can you tell me about them, either something personally or something professionally? So they're all professionals. Most of them are incumbents. We have five or six different county. Uh, I'm sorry. We have five or six different ones that we are targeting. But I would just like to run off their names, like probably like really quick, the ones that we have. And um, it's, it's, if I did their bios, we'd be here for about another hour and a half. So I just need to just get their names thrown out there. So hopefully the people listening will know. We have Myrna Molina, County uh, Board 1, Dale Berman, County Board 2, Anita Lewis, County Board 3, Mavis Bates, County Board 4, Dee Battaglia, County Board 5, Ron Ford, County Board 6, Monica Silva, County Board 7, Michelle Gomes, County Board 8, Bill Tarver, County Board 10, Leslie Juby, County Board 11, Steve Brezowitz, County Board 12, Mike Linder, County Board 13, Tom Hodge, County Board 14, Scott Johansson, County Board 15, Ready for Teddy Pennis, uh, South Elgin County Board 16, Deb Allen County Board 17, Sam Walker County Board 18, Mo Iqbal County Board 19, Cheryl Strathman County Board 20, Courtney Bow County Board 21, Vern Teppy County Board 22, Chris Caius County Board 23, and Jarrett Sanchez County Board 24. I know it's a, it was a mouthful, <laughs> but that's every every county board. Um, person is off. Uh, what does tell me some of the things people are sometimes confused about different arms of government. Tell me some of the things that the county board does. Okay, so county board spends your four percent of your tax bill, and your tax bill pays for like the the sheriff's department, the judges, the traditional uh, uh, work that has to be done. In addition to all the county streets and roads that need to be plowed and repaired, and there's the forest preserve, which is owned by the county. So your tax revenue gets spent. The problem in King County, the past administration had an austerity plan. This is the fellow who was running against Jeff. He's a um, election denier, 
uh, ran on he's not going to increase taxes ever in the history of his uh, denture as county board chair. And it put the Democrat-controlled county, and now, now it's Democrat-controlled, into a situation where they're $18 million in debt, they were in a hole, and having a, having a hard time struggling to, to pay for services. So what the Republicans are doing now that they lost control of the county board, they're saying, okay, so we didn't raise taxes. We put us, we drove it in the county into a ditch. Now we, uh, we're going to blame you if you raise taxes. And they, I even saw a text today that they're claiming that the Democrats are going to raise property taxes by 15%, which you can't because by law you can only raise it by 5%. Uh, so it's a lot of deception, a lot of bad information being passed by the Republicans locally to voters. Uh, so this is big for us, all these county board races, because county board is a, is a cosmetism of our whole county. Uh, and that's when, in other words, if we don't control the county board, we don't control House District 49. If we don't control the county board, Bill Foster and uh, Lauren Underwood and, and, and Roger, Chris and Martha are all going to have a harder time to get reelected. What I'm saying is different races really do influence each other. You know, a top ballot races influence down ballot races. You know, people who turn out for a a referendum they feel strongly about will turn out in greater numbers and then vote in greater numbers. It really is a heaven help me for using the word almost like a, a synergistic effect here, isn't it? Yes. Yes. We need to get them all elected. We need to make sure that we pump out the vote. The good news is we're ahead of our, I was just looking at our numbers. We had 51,184 people vote early so far. And most of them are Democrats, which is good. Uh, We just need to keep pushing that out, getting that ballot chase calls in. We're doing those at our office. Ballot chase calls are calling people who are Democrats, but they're, they're, um, their ballots sitting on their kitchen table or somewhere that needs to be filled out and sent in. We got to make sure we get everyone that's a Democrat to fill those out. You know, make sure you send it in the proper place and send it in the mail ASAP, along yes. with all the other early votes that we want to get. Just get people out early. We have all kinds of locations to go vote early, and then the numbers are coming in. We're going to be ahead of the 2018 number, so that means more people will be voting than they did in 18, which is good for us and it's good for our country and certainly good for Kane County. More people voting, and correct me if I'm wrong, but does it seem like more people are voting by mail every time we have an election? Yes, it does seem that way, uh, especially in 2020 during the pandemic. I think that number was around 70, maybe 80,000 in change by mail. Uh, yes, I, I think, I mean, I vote by mail. Me too. I didn't used to, but I tried it and I was like, oh my gosh. This is so easy. Yeah, you want to. Yeah, you want to vote by mail. And if you're a sporadic voter, or you don't think that's important to vote, or for whatever reason can't get to the polling location, or just feel like you don't have time to vote, just call your local county office. For us, it's Kane County Clerk's Office, KaneVotes.org. Call them; they will send you a ballot. They're they're professionals. I don't worry about the clerk's office. I don't worry about. Uh, the Democrats, what I worry about is people procrastinating and forgetting to send that ballot in. I have to be honest, you know, I see all those ballots sitting out there, and um, I, I just think that we've got a call. So we've been calling them, and it's been working because I see our, our, our numbers are climbing. Uh, well, yeah, and, and I, I was. Any other races. 
No. Um, I was, I don't know whether it was Axios Chicago or Shia Kapos Illinois Playbook, but I was reading about the numbers of people who have requested and returned mail-in ballots. And the number of mail-in ballots that have been returned so far is really, it's like a couple hundred thousand, which I was like, yay. But then they said there's at least 300,000 plus mail-in ballots that have yet to be returned. And I'm thinking, oh boy, you know, get those puppies in, you know, don't like, did you put it on top of the refrigerator and you forgot about it? That's not doing anybody any good. If you are listening to Mark and me and you got a mail-in ballot, please do us a favor tonight. Find it. Find it. Look, look around the kitchen. You know, look all the places that you put stuff while you're thinking about doing something else. Find it. Put it in the kitchen. Put it on the refrigerator. Put it on the kitchen table. Put it on the kitchen island. Um, so that you are constantly reminded that you need to finish it and get it in. Yes, as long as it's postmarked by November 8th, it's a good ballot, but why wait? You know, get it get yeah, it off of your right. to-do list. Yeah, and it only takes a minute to fill it out. In, in addition to that, I had to, these are some of the questions I get when I'm phone banking. Is can they bring it into the polling location with them and surrender it? They, the answer to that question is yes, they can surrender that ballot, but then you're going to have to get in line and then go vote again. In other words, you can't use the polling location as a drop box. Right. Uh, if you're if if you're afraid of the mail, take it to your county clerk's office or a, a place where they do have a drop box and drop it off there. But you cannot drop it off at a polling location and leave. So if you're thinking that's your method or your voting plan, you're going to have to understand that yes, you can surrender it, but you're going to have to get in line mm-hmm. and vote. So it'll go as a spoiled ballot. I think there's some confusion. I just wanted to set that. No, you know, you have just pointed out a pitfall, you know, that I have not acknowledged on this show. And I'm trying to make sure that everybody votes and everybody votes in a way that their vote counts. And he's absolutely right. I mean, if you fill in that mail-in ballot and you're like, oh, well, you know, there's a polling place just down the street. I'll just take it in. They're going to say, uh, they're going to look at that and they're going to say, okay, we'll destroy it for you. Now, um, you know, the, you know, here's your thing. Go in that machine over there and vote again. Uh, it's not yeah. a polling place is not a drop off box. And you know, the thing's right. got postage on it. There's a, you know, I'm one of these people where sometimes I will admit, Mark, something sits around because I can't find a stamp. It is self addressed. It is stamped. I mean, I was when I got my ballot, I remember thinking, oh, God, I got to go to the post office. I got to get some some stamps. And then I looked at the envelope and I was like, these people are geniuses. They knew I wasn't going to be ready for this. And they purposely gave me a self-addressed stamped envelope to send this sucker back. Yes. Just be sure to sign in on the back. There's a section in the ballot you have to sign your name for verification don't forget to sign it in the event you do forget to sign the ballot someone from the election authority will contact you to come in and sign it and then they'll make sure that your signatures matches that what they have on file but please fill it out sign fill out every single democrat sign the back of it get it in (laughs) asap and vote yes on the workers rights amendment yes 
And one other thing that I will warn you, if you have kids who are teenagers or uh, or early 20s, at that age, um, a lot of times they change the way they write their name. They still haven't settled into like one signature that's going to last them the rest of their life. And both of my kids have had problems. My son, luckily... What we went to vote in person, we went to early voting a few years ago and and they I don't know if they he needed to see his ID or something. And they were like when he when he signed the book to vote, they were like, no, uh, excuse me, young man, this signature doesn't match what we have on file for you. I know that's what they said. And then he had to pull out his driver's license and he had to prove yeah. That he was who he said he was. So the when you're yeah. like in your late teen years and your early twenties, a lot of times your signature will change. So if you're voting in person, bring some form of ID in case they yeah, feel please. that they yeah. don't match. Yes, indeed. Always have your driver's license and some type of ID because that does happen on occasion. You know, they're, the polling people are professionals. They just want to do a good job. They want to. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure they follow all the different rules that you know applied by the state. There's nothing fraudulent going on at the election authorities. Although Republicans want to make you believe there is, there is not. If you're asked for your ID, just show it, and then you know resign your your document, whatever they need on file, uh, and just make sure you follow the rules. Get your vote in. Vote blue. Let's stay blue. Let's make sure Illinois stays blue. Vote for Pritzker and all the Democrats because. We really, we really need everyone who is a Democrat to be elected this cycle. Couldn't have said it better myself, Mark. Mark Gately, chair of Kane County Dems, thank you for joining us and talking to us about the races we need to pay attention to on the Kane County ballots. I appreciate your time. Thanks for being here, uh, Mark. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Joan. Thank you very, very much. You take care. You too. We are going to take a break. I'm going to share a little bit of more Obama with you right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. All throughout the day today, I've been telling you about um, some of the things that former President Barack Obama has been saying on the campaign trail. He has been stumping, well, he's been stumping in a lot of places, and frankly, both he and Joe Biden are going to be making a joint appearance in uh, Philadelphia. So if you have uh, friends and family live in the Philadelphia area, you might want to give them a heads up. That's going to be uh, a barn burner. But there was um, something I know I, I sent poor, poor Paul back at the studio. I sent him so many. Th- <laughs> I sent him. Oh, this is good. Oh, this is good. Oh, yeah, we have to. We definitely have to. Uh, we have to talk about this. I sent him so many things. There is um, this was one of the ones when uh, President Obama was um, campaigning for um, when, for Mandela Barnes. Yeah, this is one of the ones where he was campaigning for Mandela Barnes. And um, he talks about what um, Republicans' answers are to any of the problems befitting this country. We know what what is their answer to the economy? Why they want to cut taxes? What is their answer for guns? Why, you know, let's think about cutting taxes. And he talked about how, you know, wouldn't it be great if you were a student and there was the same answer to every test question? Every test question, just number eight, that's the answer. 
And he said, you know, you'd get an A. But you know what? That's not how government works, and that's not how life works. Um, Listen to President Obama on this. The Republicans are having a field day running ads, talking about it. But what is their actual solution to it? Well, no, I'll tell you. They want to gut Social Security and Medicare and then give some more tax breaks to the wealthy. And the reason, the reason I know that's their agenda is, listen, that's their answer to everything. When inflation is low, what do you want to do? Cut taxes. When unemployment's high, what do you want? Let's cut taxes on the wealthy. That's going to solve that. I, <laughs> I was joking down in Georgia. If there was an asteroid headed towards Earth, it's going to land in, in like two weeks. If you went in the Republican caucus and you said, what do you want to do? Well, we need a tax break for the wealthy. That's going to help. I, I'm, I'm only barely exaggerating. That's their only economic policy. The only one. And it's been their only one for the last 20 years. I mean, it'd be nice yeah, if, if, if every problem you had, you just had one answer. You know, you're, those of you who are young, you're still in school, you know, you go to a math exam. It's like every answer is just number eight. Just write eight. You'd get an A. Yeah, you'd get an A. Well, you know, let's see. We've got uh, COVID uh, running through the country. Well, I think we need a tax cut for the wealthy. Well, well, of course not. I mean, you know, think about it. Yeah, he was laughing and the crowd was laughing, but it really honestly is true. Every time Republicans get into a position of power, they ram through a tax cut for the wealthy. That's why we have so much wealth inequality. It started, you know, the tax cut started with Ronald Reagan. Wealthy people used to pay really high tax rates, and then it was lowered, and then it was lowered, and then it was lowered, and they got their final big break under Trump. So many people were buffaloed by that. Well, because you know why? Because there was a tax break for the wealthiest people. That was a forever tax break. But there was a tax break for low and middle income people that was for one year. And Donald Trump kept saying, this is everybody should support this. I am giving you a tax break. And I heard interviews with people where they said, well, you know, this is great. You know, my taxes are going to go down. Your taxes are going to go down. You're going to get a break for one year. The one percenters in this country got a permanent tax break in that same legislation. In that same legislation. President Obama, Obama, um, when he was campaigning for uh, Gretchen Whitmer. I mean, you know, the nice thing, like I said, the nice thing about being a former president, he can't run again. He's not eligible. So he can kind of be a little bolder. 
in his speechifying than perhaps Joe Biden can without coming under the same microscope. And, you know, he was he was flat out telling the crowd, you know, what do you do with this party? What do you do with the Republican Party who is just willing to lie? Not spin, not try to present things in the best possible light to them, but just freaking flat out lie. Listen to this. Most Republican politicians right now are not even pretending that the rules apply to them anymore. They, they seem okay with just making stuff up. The Governor Whitman's opponent has falsely claimed that the 2020 election was stolen. Now, and, and, and has refused to say whether she thinks Joe Biden has won. She, she just can't bring herself to do it. And, uh, the, 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 and I, I just want to explain this. L- nobody likes losing. Listen, the first time I ran for Congress, I lost the primary by 30 points. I got whooped. And let me tell you, I was frustrated. I was frustrated too. You know what I didn't do though? I didn't claim the election was rigged. I didn't try to stop votes from being counted. I didn't incite a mob to storm the Capitol. I took my lumps. I figured out why my campaign hadn't connected. And I tried to run a better race the next time because that's how our democracy is supposed to work. I mean, that's how it's supposed to work. Just, just like you don't win all the time. But you don't, you don't just tear the field down if you don't win. Make a better team. Have a better plan. But don't, don't tear down the game. Don't tear down the rules. President Obama on the campaign trail. Do you miss him as much as I do? (laughs) Oh, man. It's good, isn't it? Anyway, uh, let's take a break. We're going to come back and wrap things up right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I mentioned to you that uh, Barack Obama and uh, Joe Biden were going to be campaigning together in Pennsylvania. That is going to be this Saturday. Um, President Biden is also planning to take a trip to Florida. I believe he's planning to go to Florida tomorrow to campaign with uh, Charlie Crist, who is, of course, going up against Ron DeSantis. Um, Biden also planning to um, later this week go and do some campaigning in California. Um, by the way, an update on Paul Pelosi. He is recovering in the hospital. He is apparently doing well and is on the mend. Um, 
He, of course, Nancy Pelosi's husband, was attacked in his home by an intruder who apparently wanted to um, kidnap or I guess the plan was he wanted to tie up Nancy Pelosi. This is what he said to police. And he wanted to make Nancy Pelosi tell him the truth. What truth? He didn't say, but he wanted Nancy Pelosi to tell him the truth. And he was going to break her kneecaps if she didn't tell him the truth. When politicians say incendiary things, most of us might let it roll off our back or we might laugh at it. But certain people take these things to heart. Remember the guy who showed up with a gun at a pizza parlor because um, conspiracy theorists had said that Hillary Clinton was killing or abusing children in the basement of this particular pizza parlor. That was the QAnon rumor. And this guy, thinking he had to rescue the children, shows up with a gun. We shouldn't be surprised by this. We should only be surprised that this hasn't happened more often. And most of the Republicans in office have sent their well wishes and reacted, you know, with horror at what happened. But not all of them. I told you, Glenn Youngkin, the Republican governor in Virginia, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, he got hurt. Um, 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 Like he's going to be OK. But sure, you know, now we're going to get Nancy out of Washington. It's one way to get her out of Washington. Seriously? And in Arizona, Carrie Lake, the God help me, a television anchor turned gubernatorial candidate. Apparently she made a joke about Paul Pelosi getting hurt as well. Nancy Pelosi, well, she's got protection when she's in D.C., but apparently her house doesn't have a lot of protection. And everybody in the crowd um, thought that was hilarious. Everybody laughed. What the hell? I don't know. Um, If we can't, if we can't convince people to vote Democratic against some of the people who are running as Republicans, I don't know. I don't know that there's much hope for humanity. (laughs) couple other news stories today that I've been pushing back because we just hadn't had a chance to uh, get to them. Have you been following what's going on in Hawaii, on the big island, Mauna Loa, the uh, volcano? The uh, experts say that it is getting ready to blow. Now, it's not imminent. You know, they've learned, like with Mount St. Helens and other explosions, they've learned what the signs are and some of the things that happen late in the game right before an explosion haven't happened, but they are seeing changes. I mean, you know, it's kind of, remember Mount St. Helens, it kind of ballooned out before it blew. 
the experts are sounding an early warning. That's This isn't like, you know, throw all of your belongings and the dog in the car and drive away kind of a warning. Like it's going to blow in the next 24 hours. But the experts have said that it is getting ready to erupt. Um, if indeed they prove to be correct, this could be really damaging for the Big Island. We shall see. But they are not saying, oh, you know, 20 years from now, or, oh, it could possibly happen. No, they're saying they are seeing the signs that it is getting ready to do this. They don't see the signs that mean it's imminent, like it's not going to happen in the next hour. But they're not saying it could or it couldn't. They're saying it will. And one other note, you know, I've been banging the drum for quite a long time now about you getting your COVID shot. And I haven't really spent a lot of time talking about getting your flu shot. We are now at the beginning of flu season, and doctors say early indications are that it's going to be bad. Oftentimes, we look to Australia because because of, you know, the seasons being flipped. They get flu season before we do. And there were reports that Australia experienced a very bad flu season this year. But, you know, people are like, well, you know, maybe that'll happen to us. Maybe it won't. But it looks like it is. Um, early reports of cases and how severe they are and how many people are being hospitalized are not good. So it is not too late to get a flu shot. Please, please, please get a flu shot. Um, some places you can get the COVID bivalent and the flu shot same day. Hell, same arm if you want to. The other illness that is hasn't been prominent for years but is really prominent now is something called RSV. It's a respiratory virus, and it is particularly scary in children. And doctors have been reporting that it looks right now like there is going to be a terrible wave of this virus, this respiratory virus that is particularly serious in children, babies, kids, Please talk to your doctor. If you are not up to date on your vaccinations, get them. It ain't political. It is not political. These vaccines are not a plot by Big Pharma to take advantage of people and make a bunch of money. And I don't know if you saw this, but you know, for a while, Joe Biden's been saying, you know, the money for COVID has been winding down. And one of the drug companies said that when the government paying for the COVID vaccines is over, the va- COVID vaccine will cost 120 or $130. Now, if you have insurance, you should be fine. Insurance should pay for it. But if you don't have insurance... All the more reason to get out now. If the COVID money is running out and there's no guarantee it will be renewed. I mean, if if for some reason the Republicans take a hold of Congress, they have voted against COVID money almost every chance they've gotten. 
They don't care if you have to, if you know, if you don't have insurance, they don't care that you have to pay $120 or $130 for a COVID vaccine. They don't care. These are the same people who are talking about privatizing Social Security. I mean, these people do not care about you if you are below mm, the two, the top 2%. No. So get out, get your vaccine while it is still free. Call your pharmacist, call your doctor, find out who has it. Call more than one pharmacy. You know, Walgreens, CVS, they've got no loyalty. Sign up, go to their online sign-up system. Get in the system. I went for a physical um, last month. And I called my doctor up and I was like, oh, you know, I'm coming in for a physical. You know, why don't you give me that COVID vaccine? They said, we don't have it. And I was like, what? No, we can give you a flu shot. but We can't give you a COVID vaccine. You got to get that somewhere that has the supplies. And um, and that's what I did. I um, I gave those people at CVS who jerked me around the first time I tried to get an appointment. And it ended up, they ended up canceling my appointment, which I was very incensed about. But since I uh, didn't have a lot of choice, got back on their online system, made the appointment, got the shot. When I was sick last week, I, I didn't take a lot of COVID tests. The first time I had COVID, I had to take five tests over five days before I was positive. It was the same symptoms. You know, and I'm like, you know, I know what this is. I know what it's going to be like. I'm not going to get Paxlovid or anything like that. So, you know, I don't even, I, I stopped taking the test. I was like, who cares if I've turned positive or not? I know what these symptoms are. I know what I have to do, which is pretty much go to sleep, which is what I did for about two and a half days. But the good news is, with all of my shots, even though I was only one week out from the COVID bivalent, and they say it takes two weeks or more to really, really kick in 100%, the first time I got sick with COVID, it was eight days. You know, most of them I was still well enough to work, but it was a good eight days of not feeling well. This time around, it was four, and I'll take that deal. I'll take that deal each and every time. Hope you will, too. Driving to home with Patty Vasquez is next. I will see you tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Until then, uh, stay safe, my friends. Have a great evening. Good night. <laughs>